Take a seat. God is faithful. Let me ask you this question. I think I know the answer for all of us, or I know what the answer should be. Have you ever messed up before? Yeah. Yes. We have some humble people. Has anyone not messed up before? There's, there's always someone who's going to raise their hand. I see you. I see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Eli Baker. Bro, I know you, you for too long. I know you've messed up at least once. I've known you years. I'm just kidding. All right. Like, the reality is that what it means to be human is to fall short and to miss the mark. Everyone say sin. Sin comes from this Hebrew word that just simply means to miss the mark or to miss the goal. So if the goal, if the mark is loving Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, guess what? We have not always done that. We have fallen short before. Now, how many of you guys, this is maybe the even more frustrating thing about the human condition. How many of you guys have ever kept on making the same mistake over and over and over yeah, my boy's smiling right here. You proud of it? You proud of it? I love it. Love it. Grady, real quick, can I ask you a favor? Can you turn these lights down? It's just blinding me a tiny bit. Thank you so much. Yeah, like, like how many of y'all know it is the most frustrating thing ever? Like, we, we expect ourselves to mess up sometimes, right? Like, like we know we're going to fall short sometimes, miss the mark sometimes. Maybe you're trying, like, something new and you're terrible at it. I'm really, like, prideful and competitive, and so I really don't like trying new things unless I know I'll be good at it. Anyone, anyone like that? I know, especially with sports. It's like, I ain't picking it up unless no one's watching and I know I'll be good at it. I know, it's prideful. I'm letting y'all in in my sinful condition. Right, like, it, it's so frustrating when we continue to, to like, walk into the same error over and over and over. And it's like, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try to get it right, it can be really frustrating and shameful to keep falling short. My, my greatest experience of this at a young age was in the fourth grade uh, in a specific class. Any, any of y'all have that specific class coming to mind that's like, I keep failing. It's like, I don't care if I study 20 hours, one hour for like most of you, it's probably math. I'm with you, math is tough. But, but, like, the thing for me, and this is really embarrassing, I'm letting y'all in on, like, really knowing your pastor, okay? The subject that I really struggled with, ironically, was Spanish. You can laugh. You can laugh. My name is Mateo Mendoza. Like, like I should be able to speak some Spanish. Like, something in my blood should be able to help me, like, like pick up Spanish and learn it. But the reality is, like, I'm a coconut, like, brown on the outside, very white on the inside. Like, it's bad. And so, like, the reality is, like, as I would, like, try so hard in Spanish, I could try for, like, hours and hours, or I could, like, put in no effort and it's, like, didn't matter. I'm getting bad grades, right? And so I remember, I'm, like, a very, like, high-achieving, goal-oriented person. And so I always wanted to do well in, like, sports and school and, like, music, all the different things. And so I wasn't used to getting bad grades. And so I remember fourth grade. My mom picks me up over there at TCA East, and I'm walking out to, to the car, and we end up coming over here to, to the church. And so we're walking around, and, and she can see that I'm like, I'm feeling pretty down. Big sad boy hours, right? Big sad boy hours. And she's like, buddy, like, hey, what, what's going on? Like, you seem really down. <laughs> mom, I got a D on a Spanish. And I just started breaking down because I got a D for the very first time in my life on a Spanish test. Some of you are like, you got a D? Good job, bro. No, 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 that's not good, right? Like, <laughs> I see you back there. You're like, come on, let's go. No, I got a D and I was devastated. I was devastated because I never, <laughs> thank you guys, do better. Do better than Ds for me, okay? Work as hard as you can. Okay, like, <laughs> but like, I was so distraught that I like, I got a D on a test and I felt like a failure. And I tried so hard time and time and time again and I could not do it. No matter how hard I tried, I kept falling Sure, and friends, the reality is that when we open up this book, that is the narrative 
of humanity. Am I right? That is the narrative of humanity. Is a bunch of people who, no matter how many amazing things that God does, they keep falling short over and over and over. And the reality is that we do that as a people, that we can see, like, God do amazing miracles. Like, we have, like, the very blood of Jesus shed for us. Like, God has done amazing things. Like, we have uh, so many blessings in front of us, and we so easily forget the goodness of God. And one day we sign up at, at a great conference or a retreat or a really special moment of, God, I'm going to serve you all my life and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, not but five minutes later, like, you're next to, like, a pretty girl in worship, and all of a sudden it's like, Hold on, God. All right, like, like, right? It's like, it doesn't take long for us to quickly be distracted and focused on other things to say, God, I'll be faithful to you. I'll follow you. I'll serve you just like Peter did. But we fall short and we are often unfaithful. Everyone say unfaithful. We're often unfaithful. Now, what does it mean to be faithful? The Hebrew word for faithful is this word aman. Everyone say aman. It sounds like amen. That's how you can remember. Aman, it means to be faithful. It means to be established or to be supportive. Like in, in a structure, in, in an architectural lens, for something to be uh, supportive means that it can uphold the weight of the building. Right? Like you don't want to go into a building that is not faithful, that's not trustworthy, that is not well established. Am I right? Like you don't want to be like teetering the whole time. Right? Like, so to, to be faithful means to be established, to be worthy of trust. The Greek word is the word pistos. Everyone say pistos. It means to be reliable, to be stable. To be stable. To, to, be, to not be easily moved. That even despite all the things going around, to be faithful means to be steadfast, to be steady. And this is who our God is. And the reality is, is that the world tries to tell us that we can find something that's faithful. That will support us, that is trustworthy, that is stable and reliable. The world tries to tell us that that's available. That if you have enough money, then, then you can have control. If you have enough power, if you have sex, if you have all the things you could ever desire and dream of, then you can have control. So that you're never shaken by the things of life. And yeah, when a pandemic comes or when there's brokenness in a country, whatever goes on, it's like, well, as long as I have these things, I won't be moved. Is what culture wants to tell you. That you can find something that's faithful and steady and won't let you down. And friends, if you've lived enough life or you've watched enough people, you know that's a lie. That anything that we try to cling to as faithful and trustworthy outside of the person of God is movable. It is not steady. It is not steadfast or faithful. Hebrews 10.23 says this. It says, let us hold fast. Everyone say hold fast. Let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? He who promised is? He who promised is faithful. Let's hold fast to confession because God is faithful. So let's go through four ways that I see God reveal his faithfulness in Genesis and Revelation. I just want to suggest four simple things. How do we see God's faithfulness in Scripture? Number one is that God's faithfulness is revealed in his goodness. Everyone say his goodness. God's faithfulness is revealed in his goodness. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis 45. Genesis 45, near the very end of the first book of the Bible. And in Genesis 45, to, to catch you up, if you're not familiar, we have the story of 
Joseph. Anyone ever watched like that old uh, movie, like the, what, what's it called, Prince of Dreams? No, not Pr Prince of Egypt is the best. And there's like the Prince of Dreams or whatever the Joseph one is, right? It's a great movie. Don't watch those movies for like theological accuracy. Like you're going to open up your Bible and be like, <gasps> it lied to me. It did. It did. But they're great movies. They're great movies. But if you know anything about the person of Joseph, he is the son of Jacob, of, of a man who's renamed as Israel. And so what we see is that Joseph is like the youngest son for a long time. Where are the youngest children at in the room? Yeah, yeah, I see you, Jack Sheeran. You're a whole youngest child, bro. You are. I see it in you. Because I, I see it in me, too. I, I'm a youngest child as well. Like, like, and how many of you youngest children, if you can, like, be honest before the Lord and your community of faith, are, like, sometimes a little spoiled or entitled? Yeah, if you're not raising your hand, you just don't know yet if you're the youngest child. You'll see it eventually, right? But, like, what we see in the person of Joseph is that this dude is kind of entitled and wants his brothers to know, like, hey, I had this dream. Like, God gives me these dreams. Like, they're from God. You're all going to, like, serve me one day. Like, bow down to me. Pretty cool, right? And Dad gave me this, like, cool, like, Gucci coat that, like, none of y'all got, but I got, right? It's, it's, it's looking sweet. Nani going around doing the fit checks today. I see you, Nani. But, like, what we see is Joseph is hated by his brothers. And because of how he acts, his brothers decide to, to respond with sin, which is not the right response. But I do see where they're coming from. Maybe they, maybe they took uh, matters to a little extreme. But what they do is, is they, they get Joseph and they throw him into a pit and they sell him to Egyptian slavers. And what we see is throughout Joseph's life, he, he prospers and thrives of where God puts him, but then injustice makes him go into another difficult situation. We see this pattern, but at the end, in, in, near the end of Genesis, we see that, that God elevates and promotes Joseph to be one of the top people in the kingdom of Egypt. And they're going through this severe famine, so, so Joseph has wisdom and knowledge to help the nation get through it. And so eventually his brothers show up. Can you all imagine the awkwardness? Like that awkward, awkward tension. They don't know it's Joseph because he looks different, like got a beard, like the whole like Egyptian get up, the fake goatee, I don't know. And so they don't, they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph is like, I know y'all, I know y'all. And so in this moment in Genesis 45 verse 4, read along with me, this is what it says. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. They're probably like, oh, here we go. What is he going to say? And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant. Skip down to verse 8. So it was not you who sent me, but God. So we see that, that Joseph is able to see God's sovereignty and his goodness even after his brothers mistreated him. Skip forward to Genesis 50. At the very end of the book of Genesis, the, all the brothers, their father dies. Jacob passes away and so now they're really scared. Like dad's gone. There's no one to keep Joseph in check. Now he's going to come get us. And this is what Joseph says in verse 19. Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Everyone say good. God meant it for good. Friends, what we see in scripture is that God never leaves anything undone. God never leaves anything undone. I was talking to, to a member of our church and he has three really amazing younger boys. And so I was talking to him and catching up with him about life. And, and he was sharing with me about the situation him and his family were walking through. His son had been diagnosed with a disease that was going to affect him for the rest of 
his life. It's a really tough situation for the family. So I'm asking him, hey, how are you processing this? How are you doing? How is this as a dad walking through this with your son? How is, how is your son? And as we're talking, he said, I went to go check on my son the other night. And I just went, hey, hey buddy, like, how are you doing with this? You just found out you have this disease that, that is going to affect you for the rest of your life. Like not what every 10-year-old is ready to hear, like at the doctor's office. And his son looks at his dad and says, I may get this wrong, but isn't there a verse in the Bible about when things aren't good, God makes them good. He's like, yeah, yeah, there's something like that. He says, well, Dad, that means if it's not good yet, God's not done with it yet. And he, and he told me that story, and I was like, I need this 10-year-old to come preach for me and like, for me to receive on the front row. But like, it's this beautiful, beautiful story of like him recognizing that if something is not good yet, then God's not done with it yet. And that can sound kind of cliche and optimistic, but, but what we see in Scripture, friends, is in Genesis 1, where we opened up this Alpha and Omega series, is that we, we looked into the fact that God is good. Everyone say, God is good. Come on, everyone say, God is good. We saw that God is good. And so if God is good in his creation, everything he, he makes, everything he speaks, everything he does, then that means what he says about you is true. And so he, if he calls his creation good, that means it's good. And what we see is that God makes all things to be in perfect and good relationship, but sin comes and breaks it apart. But we know that as we look at both the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the story and the end, which is Jesus, we see that Jesus says, hey, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to bring restoration. All the things that are not good, don't worry. I'm going to make them good again. And friends, some of you need to hear this, that, that maybe you're struggling to believe that God is trustworthy or faithful in your life. And I want to tell you that if you're coming into this room discouraged, whatever, listen to me, listen to me. I know some of your stories and, and what you're coming into this room with. If you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling alone, isolated, angry at God, if you, if you are struggling with doubts and questions, if you... If you're really struggling with him, you're like, I don't, I'm, I'm mad at him. Can I give you an invitation tonight to simply come to Jesus? To simply come to Jesus with your anger, with your sadness, with your anxiety, with the depression you're feeling, with the things that feel heavy. Simply come to him with those things. I think there is this egregious, terrible lie in our culture, in Christianity, that says that what faith is is kind of putting on a tough face and acting like everything's good. Right? Like, I can, and I'm fine, like, I'm blessed and highly favored, I'm chilling. It's like, and, and we put on this tough face to act like we're all good, and we think that's what faith is about. And guys, can I tell you something? That is a lie. It's a gross lie that, that, that often people make up so they don't really like have to be challenged by someone walking through doubts or questions. But I want to tell you guys this, is that great faith isn't not struggling. Okay? Great faith isn't about not, never having anger towards God, never struggling. What great faith is, is coming to God with your anger, with your frustration, with your disappointment, trusting that he is the one who can do something about it. Are you with me? Coming to God in faith isn't ignoring the pain that you're facing. Like, I know many of you, like, let's just make this real. Like, like I'm thinking, like, like, people are like, I've gotten injured recently. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Like, I want to play sports. I want to do my thing. Like, I'm thinking about people who it's like, there's brokenness in your family. 
Like parents' divorce happening and like leaving home is like the greatest sense of relief because you get to get away from the fighting. And maybe your question is, where is God in that? Can we be real tonight? And friends, the reality is that God does not call you to a faith of ignoring those things. He can handle your anger and frustration. Open up the book of Psalms and you see a whole bunch of dudes who are just like angry at God. Like they're so angry at God and like the, the brokenness in the world. They're like, God, just go kill those people while you're at it. Like they're a mess. Like, like, they, like they're coming to God with their anger and frustration and lament because they, they trust God can do something about it. And they trust that God is good and so therefore he can restore all things. Are you with me tonight? Are you with me? We know that God is faithful because he is good. This is the promise we see in Revelation 21, verses 4 through 5. We've read this multiple times now. So go and look at the screens. Revelation 21, verse 4. This is Jesus' promise to us in the end. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things. Everyone say, all things. I am making all things new. Friends, hear me tonight. You can have assurance that God is faithful because he has revealed his goodness. He's revealed it in making everything good in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. He has made us for relationship with him. And we see his goodness in the fact that he has made a way for us to have relationship with him on the cross. But Jesus doesn't stop there. The things that are still broken, the things that are still, that are still tearing apart because of the brokenness of sin in our world. He says, hey, I will restore all things. It's going to be good again. So if you're feeling discouraged in this room tonight, come to Jesus. He can handle your disappointment. Amen. Amen. Number two is this. Number one, God's faithfulness is revealed in his goodness. Number two, God's faithfulness is revealed in his justice. Everyone say justice. Justice. We talked about this junior high. You had a treat getting to hear from Pastor Stephen a few weeks ago on the flood and eternal judgment. I listened to the message and I was like, gosh, he's a stud. But I, I loved opening up those passages because those are really, really difficult passages to grapple with. Right? Like thinking about the flood, like God wiping everyone out in a flood and like eternal judgment, like people spending eternity away from God in hell. Like that, that's not light. <laughs> that's not super easy to grapple with. But what we, what we saw as we looked into that is that we see God's faithfulness in the fact that because God cares for his good creation so much, because he made the world to be in perfect relationship with him and with each other and with everything that he made, when this disease called sin leads to death and brokenness, because he cares for his people, he wants to do something about it. C.S. Lewis writes this in my favorite, one of my favorite books, The Great Divorce, and he says this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. What Lewis is saying here is that in the end... Either you and I will bow our knees before Jesus and say, you are my Lord, your will be done. You are better, you are good, you are faithful. You deserve all of my worship. Or there will be those 
But because they want to be their own gods, they want to define what is good and evil, what is moral and what is not, just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Those who want to find themselves and their identity and what they're good at, their sports, their extracurriculars, their relationships, everything, people who want to be their own gods. Heaven would be a place that would be torturous for them because they'd be called to worship someone besides themselves. But God, in his in sadness and in grief, just like before the flood when it says that God was moved to compassion and he grieved the brokenness of humanity. God does not delight in damnation. Do you know how you guys weren't in here to hear that word? It's not a cuss word, okay? It's okay. It's an actual word. I heard the gasp. <laughs> no, it's okay. God does not delight in that. His will is to have all of his people with him. But the reality is, is that he shows his faithfulness, that he is reliable and trustworthy because he doesn't stand idly by watching, watching gross sin tear apart the good world he has made. He has promised to do something about it. Are you with me? Number three is this. God's faithfulness is revealed in his sovereign plan. Everyone say sovereign plan. God's faithfulness is revealed in sovereign plan. What we see is that Genesis plus revelation, everything in between, gives us this amazing picture of a God who, who shows his intention and his heart for humanity and all of his creation in Genesis 1 and in 2. To have a relationship with his people, for his creation to be in perfect harmony and unity. But it doesn't take long. Genesis chapter 3, sin fractures that. And breaks things apart. And what we see is that the entire meta-narrative of Scripture is all about this. God coming to redeem his people. To buy them back so they can be his. That's what Scripture is all about. Now how many of you guys have maybe ever asked this question of like, okay, if God like knows everything, he's sovereign, all those big words. Then like, why did he still make everything knowing the mess that would happen? Any of you guys ever asked that? Yeah. Yeah, you can be honest. Like, like that's, that's a really valid question, right? Like, okay, if God knew that before anything was made, like, he, he and, and, and Jesus and the Spirit are, like, sitting up there knowing, hey, once, like, once we speak and stuff starts, like, being, like, in existence, like, things are going to get messy. Like, it's going to take three chapters in the holy book, bro. And then it's like, it's all, that's all it takes for the fall to happen and for, and for brokenness and murder and rape and incest and all these terrible things we see in Genesis. Like, it happens like that. Why on earth would God do that? Right? Why on, why on earth, if God is sovereign and wise, why would he create everything if there's going to be so much destruction and death? I'm not God and, and none of us are God, so we can't understand his ways or his plans, but what, what we can see is his will revealed in Scripture. We can see his will, his desires, his intention in Scripture. So what does Scripture tell us? Let's first look at John 3.16. Y'all know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not, would not, but have eternal life. So what we see in this verse is that it is God's will, even though he knew that brokenness in the world would cause or would cost his son his very life. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes and whoever has faith in him as the faithful one shall not perish but have eternal life. 2 Peter 3, 9. We read this a few weeks ago. 2 Peter 3, 9 says... 
God's will is that all, everyone say all, is that all would come to repentance, that, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you ever hear the lie that someone says, like, now Jesus only died for the really, like, pretty, got it all together people, that's, like, only, like, who the gospel is for, let me tell you, that's a lie. If, if you ever hear that, that Jesus did not die for all of creation, just look at 2 Peter 3, 9. That says that he, his will is that none should perish, that all, everyone say all. That all should come to repentance. This is the will of God. His intention, his desire is that he wants to be in relationship with his people. We see in his sovereign plan that from the beginning he has always moved towards his people to have relationship. Look at Romans 11 with me. Romans 11, at, at kind of near the end of the book after Paul writes 11 beautiful chapters of scripture showing what God was up to in the very beginning in creation and even after the fall and in sending Jesus to die and raise back to life. Showing his plans and purposes, Paul writes this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has been given, or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. In God's sovereignty, his, his plan was so good. His sovereign plan was so good that his intention was even though he knew that brokenness would enter his world, he says, hey. Even though you guys are going to be a mess, I'm going to be faithful. Even though my people who I call and who I choose, even though they'll fall short time and time and time and time again, I will be faithful to them. Look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 4. Even as he chose us. Everyone say, he chose us. But everyone say, he chose us. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Everyone say his will. According to the purpose of his will. God knows the full story. He knows exactly when he will come back. He knew everything that would take place once creation was set into motion. And it is God's good will and pleasure to choose you. To adopt you. So you know what this tells me? Is that God's motive in making a world that he knew would be messy and broken and would cost his son his life was salvation was worth it to him. Salvation was worth it to him. Being able to adopt you into his family, to make you righteous in his sight was worth it to him. This was his will. And this is what we see in the very end in Revelation 21. When Jesus comes back and he's promising the new heavens and the new earth. Go ahead and put up that, that passage. Revelation 21, 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Friends, hear this really simple statement. I don't want you just to be like, yeah, hey, I know that. I learned that when I was four years old. I want you to challenge this if you actually believe this. That God wants to be with you. 
that God wants to be with you. Not the more perfect people, not the prettier people, not the people who have been in the church longer, not the people who have it all together. God has laid down his son's life so he can be with you. He doesn't overlook you. He has chosen you before the foundation of the world, knowing everything that it would cost and said, I chose you. Friends, we see that God is faithful. That even when we are faithless, he says, hey, I choose you knowing exactly what it will cost me. This is how we see God's faithfulness in his sovereign plan. Number four, this is the last one. That God's faithfulness is revealed in his love. God's faithfulness is revealed in his love. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. What we see in scripture is a story of God's love pursuing us and tracking us down. One of my favorite books in the Bible that we're actually going to lean into during high school and junior high retreat. I'm so pumped. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Hosea. Any of y'all ever read the book of Hosea? Maybe a few of you. Yeah, you should read it. It's amazing. It's beautiful. In the book of Hosea, what we see is it is one of the, the books of the minor prophets. And in the book of Hosea, we see that God chooses this prophet Hosea to, to be a mouthpiece to the people of Israel, to communicate his heart to them. And what we see in the book of Hosea is, is God gives kind of two different familial, relational type uh, examples of how he sees his people. So the first one is that of, of a husband looking at his wife. And what we see is and at the very beginning of Hosea, God commands Hosea to go marry this woman named Gomer. Everyone say Gomer. What a, what a sick name, right? Just Gomer, it's cool. He, he tells him to go marry this woman, Gomer. And he tells, he tells Hosea, hey, this woman is a woman of promiscuity. This, this woman isn't, isn't doing good things. And, and he tells her to go and marry this woman. And Hosea goes and, and he marries and he takes Gomer as his wife. And it doesn't take long for Gomer to go to, to other men and to be unfaithful to Hosea to try to find Money and power and satisfaction in other men. What we see is God tells Hosea, hey, I want you to go, I want you to go and get your wife back. I want you to pay off the debts that she owes to all these other men so that you can redeem her and call her yours again. And we see Hosea goes and, and he takes Gomer as his wife again. And what God shows is, hey, Israel, my people, you are like this woman, Gomer. I have been a faithful husband to you. I have given all of my love, all of my life, my devotion, my focus to you. I've chosen you. I've been faithful to you. I've been steady. I've loved you well. And you have been like this woman. Going from thing to thing, from idol to idol, from relationship to relationship, to try to fill a longing for worth. God is saying, hey, I love you. I have been faithful to you. The other example God gives is that of a father with a child. He speaks this, this beautiful language to, to his people, Israel. 
showing that he is like a good father who has helped his child learn how to walk. And he's been there for his child. He has been faithful and steady and consistent. But this child grew up and worshipped idols and went to other things and lived in wickedness. It contributed to the brokenness and destruction in the world we live in today. God says, you deserve judgment. You deserve justice because you are hurting the people around you. He says, how can I give you up? How can I give you up? What we see is God is showing a beautiful picture of a husband and of a father who loves his wife or child so much that he continues to stay faithful to them despite their unfaithfulness. Friends, hear me tonight. Every single one of us in this room are just like Gomer. We are unfaithful to God time and time and time and time again. Like think about, think about the reality that like you, maybe what, you can remember the moment that you received the free gift of salvation into your life. Have you fallen short? Have you sinned since that moment? I have, for sure. Like, think about, about the, like, the thing that, that happens is that we, like, we receive the gospel, we receive this good news. And we quickly turn to idols. Yeah, we may not worship little statues, but we worship our sports, our relationships, our popularity, our image. We worship other people who look like they're prettier, more beautiful. They got it all together. I want to be like... We worship status, we worship money, we worship power, we worship sex, we worship all of these things, thinking that can fill a longing. And friends, what I want to hear, what I want you guys to hear tonight is this, is that God is faithful, that he stays steadfast, that he is an anchor for us to hold on to. That even when, when we're faithless and we're going around sinning and going to other things, trying to find who am I and how do I answer these questions, God stays faithful to you. He stays committed to you. This is what I want us to do tonight. So we're going to take a, a few minutes to, to sing a beautiful song. The song just sings about the faithfulness and the goodness of our God. It's really simple. What I want to challenge you to do tonight is this. Is I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to, to help you and to move you to a place of gratitude. Because I don't think you guys heard too much tonight that was like new information. Like most of us have heard from like a, for a long time that God is faithful, right? But we so often forget that His love is so good that he is committed to us, that he is steadfast, that he stays steady and consistent despite our unfaithfulness, despite the times that we cheat on him, him who has been a, 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 a committed, loving husband, who, who has laid his life down for us perfectly. And what do we do? We quickly turn our back. We quickly forget. We quickly, we quickly fall out of love 
try to find our identity in other things that leave us more broken than before. So this is what I want us to do. I want you to get to a space where you'll be able to, to focus on God. If you want to come up to the front and get on your knees, if you want to stay right where you're at, if you want to kind of spread out. But I want this to be like a place where you will like concentrate and focus on Jesus. So if you know you need to be like away from people, get away from, from people. Go ahead and move where you need to be. Stay quiet, stay quiet. As you get ready to just be in a, a position and a posture to, to focus on Jesus and to simply to come to him. I want us to come to God knowing that he is faithful. Scripture tells us that if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Everyone look at me, everyone look at me. As we were in this room earlier praying for, for you guys, praying the Lord would do tonight, I got a sense for, for a few different groups of people in this room. I felt, I felt broken hearted for, for many of you, so many in this room who don't have a father in their life. Maybe you've, you've lost your earthly father. Maybe he left. I don't know what, what the situation was, but maybe when you hear about this, this example of God being a father, what your mind goes to is absence, is disappointment or discouragement. Is, yeah, I thought that's what my dad was supposed to be and then he wasn't in my life breaks my heart how there's so many people in this room that's your story. I'm sorry that's happened to you. And what I believe the Father, our Heavenly Father, wants to remind us of tonight is that that's not who He is. That His promise is that He will never leave us or forsake us. His promise is that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if He was faithful before, he will continue to be faithful, trustworthy, stable. Someone you can lean on and depend on. He will not leave you. He's not going to leave you. The other group I was thinking about are those in this room that are feeling really discouraged. It could be about anything, your relationship with Jesus, life circumstances, a broken relationship, whatever it is. And you're in this room and you're feeling really discouraged disappointed, let down, if you're to be honest, like you feel depressed, you feel hopeless. Friends, I want you to hear tonight the simple that God is here for you. That God being faithful means that he's not too busy kind of running around doing his thing. No, he's steady. He's someone who you can lean on and come to. So will you close your eyes with me? What I want you to do is I want you to act like it is just you and Jesus in the room. And if you have anger or disappointment or frustration, or all you feel like you have is a broken heart, I want you to give that to Jesus. I can literally look like just telling him out loud, like those things that are on your mind that you're carrying. 
Okay, for many of us in this room tonight, we know that God is faithful in our head, but that has become a dead truth in our heart. And what I want to invite you to do is, is to ask the Holy Spirit to restore to you the joy of his salvation. Psalm 51, 11 says, simple prayer, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So if you're in this room and you know in your head that God is faithful, but you know that you haven't really been believing that, I want you to simply ask the Holy Spirit for help. Holy Spirit, help me to know and to believe that you are faithful. Jesus, we come to you knowing that you are here with us, that you are an ever-present help in time of need. You are near to the brokenhearted, to the fatherless, to those who are poor in spirit, to those who feel oppressed, you are near. God, show us, remind us how faithful you have been, giving your life, for giving us life, breath in our lungs and the beautiful things you put in front of us. Help us to remember that you have been good to us.